other side. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Today we focus on the Course in Miracles in our virtual class format with Robert Rosenthal, MD. In these segments, Dr. Bob and I break down specific sections and offer our interpretations to help you gain a deeper understanding of the concepts of the Course. If you're new to the show, Dr. Bob is the co-president of the Foundation for Inner Peace, the authorized publisher of A Course in Miracles, having served on the Foundation's Board of Directors since 1992. He was a practicing psychiatrist and psychotherapist for 32 years before retiring to take on this position. He was introduced to the course in 1975 at the age of 20 by Judy Scutch and became a close friend and protege of the course's co-scribe, Dr. Bill Stepford. Dr. Bob is the author of From Never From Nevermind. Dr. Bob is the author of From Nevermind to Evermind: Transforming the Self to Embrace Miracles, the first of a five-book series on the principles of the Course in Miracles, and also. From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus, From the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit. If you would like to connect, you can read excerpts and purchase from Nevermind to Evermind or from Plagues to Miracles if you visit drbob-author.com. To learn more about and purchase A Course in Miracles, visit acim.org, as in A Course in Miracles.org. And to review the archives of our virtual classes, visit Spiritual Insights Radio. And today we are going to continue to explore Chapter 17, which focuses on forgiveness and the holy relationship. We are currently in Section 4, the two pictures, and we're going to pick up with Paragraph 4. So it's my pleasure to welcome you back to the show, Dr. Bob. How are you? I'm good, Char. Thank you so much. I'm busy and, uh, you know, just slightly under the weather at the moment, uh, but... But overall, you know, there's just so much exciting, so many exciting things going on that, um, yeah, that it's really pretty wonderful. Um, a lot to do, but wonderful. <laughs> Thank That's you. That's good. And how's the book going? Um, you know, this is uh, the, the, the um, from Nevermind to Evermind, the book that's currently on sale, um, has been selling pretty well. I think that Amazon made its price much too high, and I think that um, affected sales for a while. But they have since dropped it by over 20%. So if you're listening to this live, um, or not live, if you're listening to this you know, in the spring of 2019, you can now get the book for a much, much, much more reasonable rate. 
Um, I'm getting a lot of good feedback. I haven't had a lot of people writing reviews, so if any uh, listeners actually read the book and enjoy it, they should write me a review. I think part of it is that that unlike From Plagues to Miracles, which was kind of a you know real fast one two day read, um, this is very very meaty. It's not dense. It's a good read. Um, you know I've gotten as I said some wonderful feedback, but you're not going to want to read more than you know five six pages at a time and taking those in. There are a lot of exercises. I was really pleased because uh, one of the uh, reviewers on Amazon said, you know, that he or she actually experienced a true shift in perception as a result of the book. And I thought to myself, what more can a course author ask for than that? Um, So I'm very pleased with it. The next book in the series um, is on relationships and forgiveness. I'm, I'm about four fifths of the way through writing that although it's going to still need a lot of um, editing and work. And its title is From Loving One to One Love, Transforming Relationship Through A Course in Miracles. And, of course, um, you know, relationships is where we live. It's what we're looking at in the segment today. Um, and and forgiveness is how we, we handle all of our relationships um, in the course's teaching. So I'm excited to get that book finished and off to the um, editor as well. Um, Hopefully sometime over the summer for release, probably around February, March of 2020. Um, Wow. And that's my news. Oh, if anyone, um, again, is listening to this in the spring of 2019, I will be speaking in Boston uh, over Memorial Day weekend at the uh, Community Miracles uh, CMC, Community Miracles Center Conference. Um, They do still have some tickets available. It had sold out, but a lot of people, um, well, not a lot. I think they have maybe 10, 12 spots that have opened up with people dropping out. So that that is still an option. There'll be a host of really um, good presenters there. And should be fun. Um, I don't know that much about Boston, but I'm looking forward to it. Should be fun. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah. That sounds like yeah. a lot of fun. And uh, I mean, I get the chills when you talk about the series of books that you're writing. Someone report a shift in their perception. That is a miracle. Yeah. So. That is a miracle. Um, yes. Good for you, and for the person who experienced that shift. That's terrific news. Thank you, Sean. But it doesn't Thanks. surprise me, given the way you write and the depth oh. and breadth of your knowledge. I am not. I'm. I'm shocked, but not surprised. I will say. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, in our in our previous segment, we're on chapter 17, section four, the two pictures, and we got through three paragraphs, which is unusual <laughs> for us. We generally go a little bit further, but I know it was very like you say, needy, and we really dug into it. So I I think we did a pretty good job with the first three paragraphs. Do you want to kind of recap that or maybe go to paragraph three and pick up where we left off? How would you like to approach paragraph Um, four? I think the, the only thing that I would emphasize by way of continuity is that those first three paragraphs we read kind of talked about the difference between you know, relationships down here and relationships in heaven, because if we're all one, which is the case in heaven, our only relationships are with God and with our own creations because we create as God created us. So the Course 
you know, kind of tells us, hey, guys, you can't do that where you're living right now. The world doesn't work that way. And I guess the, the lines that I would want to emphasize are from the start of paragraph two. In this world, it is impossible to create. You know, creation is God extending him, her, itself, and our one self extending itself. Can't do that here. We are already fractured. But then it goes on to say, it's impossible to create, yet it is possible to make happy. I have said repeatedly that the Holy Spirit would not deprive you of your special relationships, but would transform them. And and that's what, you know, really this whole chapter, and actually even the chapter before, have been focusing on. If you understand the nature of the special relationship, you begin to see it for what it is. You know, it's a mirage in the desert. You think it's going to give you what you want, and when it inevitably doesn't, you either move on to another one or you grow dispirited or you find some other little, you know, ego prize that it's dangling in front of you to chase after. What this is telling us is that, no, we can have our quote-unquote special relationships just as we can have our specialness um, through our special function as long as that's mediated by the Holy Spirit and that he can show us how to use our relationships for the purpose of being truly helpful and truly loving rather than for this subtle hidden purpose of maintaining our separation and our specialness and keeping us separate from God. So that's, you know, I think that's what we need to know from the first three paragraphs going into the rest of it. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm happy and delighted to hear what your thoughts might be on that. Well, I have so many, (laughs) it's hard to pick and choose, but um, yeah, my, my emphasis uh, from the first three falls into, um, let me see, um, first sentence in the first paragraph, God has established his relationship with you to make you happy. And so you happy is something that I think is worthy of contemplation. What, what would make you happy? And in my own thought processes, the most important thing to me is how I feel about myself. And so special relationship number one is with myself. And so when we take the full concept of what a special relationship entails and we listen to the self-talk that we offer ourselves and that we use against ourselves, then for me right now, then that is, that is my focus. And then in paragraph three, where they say you have made, where it says you have made very real relationships in this world that you do not recognize them because you have raised their substitutes to such predominance that when truth calls to you, as it does constantly, you answer with the substitute. So it seems to be this process of this circular um, trick that we pull on ourselves to project our own misperceptions onto the things that we hold dear. And so I'm looking forward to going further into the section to understand how we do that and how we can stop doing that and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and transform those um, techniques that we do to ourselves. Does that make sense? Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah, sounds good to me. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I like your point. You know, we don't often think about our relationship with ourself, but that would be 
all of the thoughts um, that you hold about this self-concept, this illusion of yourself, really none of which are accurate because the only truth about any of us is what God knows about us, what the Holy Spirit knows about us. And in that view, we're perfect. We're beings of light. Um, we're nothing short of love. And, you know, how far does that strike you from the world that we think we live in? But that's the image God holds of you. And so if you're not seeing yourself that way, and um, if you're not, raise your hand, and we're all raising our hands, then indeed we've separated ourselves from God. And that's what A Course in Miracles is all about, is, is bringing us closer, mending that rift that we put in place between us and God, between us and our true self with a capital S. Absolutely. Um, so I'm really pleased you brought that up because um, mm-hmm. pretty relevant. And it's, you know, after doing this for so long, it's pretty hard to go back to a previous um, paradigm uh, where you in, per, perhaps we enjoyed a different relationship with ourselves, one one of oblivion, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and where that oblivion can be a bit um, kind of sweet because the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know, and then the more you learn, the more you realize how you worked against yourself or became your own worst enemy. And yeah. so once once that confusion clears and you get a, a pretty pretty stable I'll say, stable idea of how the ego works, then you can't go back. But the truth is, you know, your relationship with yourself is only secondary to your relationship with God. And then from that secondary relationship, that's what permeates all other relationships in your life. And you can't get away from that. So to stomp your foot and shake your fist at the heavens, like why is this relationship the way it is? Why is it either dysfunctional, toxic, or elusive, whatever the case may be? You have to listen for the truth of it. And this section is teaching us how to do that. The last sentence in paragraph three, special relationship you have made has as its fundamental purpose, the aim of occupying your mind so completely that you will not hear the call of truth. And so our jobs then are to clear the mental clutter, get the chatter out of our minds so that we can listen. And it takes effort, but it's worth the effort. Oh, yeah. Nothing else is worth that. the effort. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that, that substitution, that occupying your mind, that's what this section is going to go on and show us with a lovely metaphor. I mean, the section is called The Two Pictures, and if we get that far, um, we will yeah. we will see that it's using this great metaphor for how the ego part of our mind um, distracts us and makes us think that there are certain things that we want when, when no, there's, there's nothing there. Right. All right. Shall we start? And, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Let's just jump right in with, uh, so we're again, people, we're, we're at chapter 17, section four, the two pictures, and we're going to pick up with paragraph four. Do you want to take it away? Dr. Bob? Sure. Great. Um, Paragraph four. In a sense, the special relationship was the ego's answer to the creation of the Holy Spirit, who was God's answer to the separation. For although the ego did not understand what had been created, it was aware of threat. 
The whole defense system the ego evolved to protect the separation from the Holy Spirit was in response to the gift with, with which God blessed it, and by his blessing enabled it to be healed. Blessing holds within itself the truth about everything. And the truth is that the Holy Spirit is in close relationship with you because in him is your relationship with God restored to you. The relationship with him has never been broken because the Holy Spirit has not been separate from anyone since the separation. And through him have all your holy relationships been carefully preserved to serve God's purpose for you. <clears throat> well, what do well, I think? Well, well. Yeah. So I think this paragraph kind of highlights that the special, rela- I mean, it says in a, in a different section, which we've read and discussed, that the special relationship is kind of the craftiest of all of the ego's defenses against truth. And here it kind of says that, um, you know, that it's the answer to the, the ego's answer to the Holy Spirit. In other words, the ego sensing that there's this bridge, there's this very clear path that will take us home, says, well, you know what? I'm going to put up all kinds of distracting signs along this path, and they're going to say, turn here, turn there. Look at her. Look at him. Um, this is the person you want to be like. This is the person I think you are. And 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 so it it holds up the special relationship to us as the alternative to the Holy Spirit. So now, rather than looking to God and his answer, capital A, um, you know, we're, we're still scrambling around, uh, you know, the, the matrix here, um, lost and confused, dazed and confused, trying to find salvation in exactly the place where it doesn't exist. Um, I start my book from Nevermind to Evermind. Uh, the first chapter starts with that old story about the drunk looking for his keys under the street lamp. And, you know, when someone comes to help him find them and they're not finding them. And finally he asks the drunk, you know, well, where did you lose them? And he goes, I don't know. And he says, well, then why are you looking here? And he goes, well, you know, this is where I can see. We're, we're kind of like that drunk. We're, we're looking for the keys to what we lost. We're not looking where we lost them. To get there, we need God's answer, the Holy Spirit. And instead, the ego throws up this defense system. Um, another way to think of this, if any of you, you know, know how um, how Air Force jets deflect heat-seeking missiles and radar missiles, they throw off what's called flak. Um, I remember there was some movie about Air Force One and there are, you know, missiles that are about to attack the president on Air Force One and they push some button and all of this like flak, this debris comes flying out the back of the plane and the missiles sort of focus on those instead. Um, that's what the ego does. It, it tosses out all this flack that, that distracts us. Um, the end of this paragraph is also very, very important because what it tells us is that the Holy, Rela- the Holy Spirit has been there with us since the separation. Of course, this makes perfect sense when you understand kind of the Course's cosmology, its view of the world, because you know, as the Course says in not one but six different lessons, if we include three reviews, I am as God created me. It is, not, it is beyond our ability to change what we are. 
And that's where salvation rests. So God created the Holy Spirit out of our mind as the, uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit resides in the Christ mind as the answer that will lead us home. And the moment we thought that we were all separate from God and fragmented into countless billions and billions of pieces or what have you, each one of them still had, you know, the Holy Spirit inside of it. Think of the Holy Spirit as your deep, deep memory of who you really are and who God really is. And you oh. literally can't lose it, but you can certainly distract yourself and keep yourself from remembering it. So when it says, um, you know, the relationship with him, the Holy Spirit has never been broken because the Holy Spirit has not been separate from anyone since the separation. And through him have all your holy relationships been carefully preserved to God's, serve God's purpose for you. What it's saying is, is this um, strange understanding of time that the Course talks about in a number of places where time is already concluded. You know, time, which is part of the, the separated world, only existed for the barest fraction of an illusionary instant and then disappeared immediately back into the oneness of reality because reality is real. That's all it is. And the Holy Spirit has been with us through that whole time. So from the perspective of oneness, we never lost our true identity, capital I. From the perspective of being here in the world with all of our you know, brothers and sisters and all that confusion, we have never lost the way home. And in fact, the way home is completely guaranteed. You know, lesson um, 292 says, um, you know, uh, uh, a happy ending to all things is sure. You know, what that means is it already happened. It's guaranteed. You, you can't not get there. The only variable is how long it takes. And as the introduction to the course says, you can't choose the curriculum, but you can decide what you want to take at any given time. So we have the option to delay this as long as possible. But why would we want to? Once we understand that all the ego can offer you is suffering, pain, false hope, and finally death, um, because the ego, you know, um, believes that you're a body, while all that God and Holy Spirit offer you is everything real, love, oneness, joy, complete peace, um, truth of who you are, you know, it, when you really put it in those stark terms, it's not really much of a choice. And yet, I remember um, once uh, uh, Judy Scutchwitson and her husband, um, you know, uh, Witwitson, were at a, giving a talk, and I, I forget whether with, with, this might have been with Bill Thetford or not, but sort of asked the audience, okay, if 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 we had the ability to just snap our fingers and go home to God in an instant, right now. Who, who here would want to do exactly that right now, this instant? Raise your hand. And, of course, not one person raised their hand because we think we've got something good going here and because uh -huh. we've been tricked by the ego into believing that God is scary. We're going to lose this little identity that we have, this this tiny little part that, that thinks it can find happiness as a separate being. And the fact is, you're going to lose that when you die, no matter what you think. But there's this much 
bigger, more real part of you that is eternal and true and identical in everyone. And as you start to become aware of that, as you were saying earlier, Shar, you can't go back. Now, there are times where the ego is like, ah, I wish I had that oblivion. I wish I could just follow my dreams and find the man, woman, uh, neuter other of my dreams and get the dream job, you know. But if you live long enough, you know that that that's a fiction, that that's a mirage. Uh, And yet the ego keeps us, uh, you know, keeps us looking and looking and looking. Uh, As the Course tells us, the ego's motto is seek, but do not find. It loves the search. It just never wants you to get there. Um, Mm. So this last line of paragraph four tells us, through him, the Holy Spirit, have all your holy relationships been carefully preserved. I read that to say that what that means is, yeah, the Holy Spirit is in all of us. We can't undo holiness. It's there waiting for us when we choose the path of forgiveness rather than the path of grievance, uh, specialness, and separation. Okay, that was more than I thought I was going to say, but um, there it is. (laughs) No, that was great. That was great. Um, Let me just pick pick up where you left off with the last sentence, and then I can go back uh, in a minute or so to uh, give my interpretation. But that I read that the same way, that Great. we're all of God, okay? This is not our home. We are all from heaven, and we have those holy relationships in complete recognition that we are all one with each other and with God, and there's bliss to that, right? Then we come here to the material world, the 3D world of illusion and separation, and that truth is obscured from us. And so here we are in this waking dream, wondering who we are, why we're here. And that is, that is our purpose, is to find our way back to that one recognition and find restoration through the Holy Spirit of the holiness that we came from while we're here. And so those relationships that we have, now let's kind of segue over to some metaphysical speak, we all have contracts with our significant others, children, family, friends, um, enemies, perceived enemies. We have contracts with those souls. They, they agreed to help us learn what we came here to learn. And so it's important when we're talking about forgiveness, um, and I, I know I've said this before, and this is something that Jesus taught me early on. He said, you will forgive many things in this lifetime, many things to forgive them for being the one to make you learn this. And so we call people enemies who have stepped up to the plate to help us learn some of our, tef- our toughest lessons. And I think a lot of those lessons, the majority, would be about ourselves. And so that is a holy relationship. We make it special by bringing hatred in and perceiving injustice in the first place. And then we taint that with this uh, poison of the ego. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Now, I have my interpretation, but it's not coming up. So I just got to give it a minute and then I can edit this. Um, yeah, there was something I was going to say in, in you know, sort of following on um, from what you were talking about. Um, but it's not coming up either. <laughs> um, you know, that, yeah. okay.
okay, yeah, 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 yeah. It was just, you know, the the idea that you're, the people you don't like have a lesson to offer you is a very helpful perspective. And you can either follow what I would call the path of karma. Um, I think in Hindu, uh, they call it karma yoga, where you're recognizing there's karma here to be burned off and you go through it. But the end result is just love. You know, you want to get to a place where you can love that person. And, and this is what's key. You don't have to give them your life. You don't have to even like them all the way through because the part that you dislike isn't really them anyway. And the part of you that dislikes them isn't really them. Um, you know, but you're, you're working your way to love. But the course gives us a more direct path by saying, you know, about any given relationship Hey, Holy Spirit, you know, take this out of my hands. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I don't know how to see. I don't know how to interpret. Let me give this to you, and you can wash it off and give it back to me, scrubbed of all of my ego nonsense, so that I can see this person in the light of holiness. So, you know, it sort of does this um, direct path to forgiveness that you can also go through. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I've certainly watched people spend 50, 60 years in the battle. And at the end of the day, you know, um, ex-husbands and wives who, you know, fight each other. But at the end of the day, there's this love there. But you can get there even faster. That's all. So did you find yeah. your notes? Okay, great. And, and you can bet your bottom dollar that when you leave this earth, and so does the ex-spouse, the enemies, all the, everybody you know, everybody you interacted with here. You're going to be reunited with them in heaven, and you're going to see each other for who you, who you really are. And you're going to look back on this lifetime and say, oh, I would think doing that life review and saying, okay, well, yeah, I had this contract, this person agreed to help me um, understand relationships to a different level. And don't you think that would kind of give you a laugh to say, look how I perceived this and look how I reacted to it and what I tried to do to fix it? Yep. Because we know all these people. None of us are strangers. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. Okay. We've taken the journey already. We already know all the drama and, uh, you know, and we can make a choice to take a more direct path. Absolutely. Well, my translation is not coming up, so what do you say we go to paragraph five and just keep going? Perfect. Okay. All right, here we go. The ego is always alert to threat, and the part of your mind into which the ego was accepted is very anxious to preserve. Let me start over. The ego is always alert to threat, and the part of your mind into which the ego was accepted is very anxious to preserve its reason as it sees it. It does not realize that it is totally insane. And you must realize just what this means if you would be restored to sanity. The insane protect their thought system, but they do so insanely. And all their defenses are as insane as what they are supposed to protect. The separation has nothing in it, no part, no reason, quote-unquote, and no attribute that is not insane. And its, quote-unquote, protection is part of it, as insane as the whole. The special relationship, which is its chief defense, must therefore be insane. That's a mouthful. Okay. I, I, I kind of love, you know, when the Course tells us we're insane, it's just, I, I, I can't help but smile. 
Go ahead. <laughs> I, I do too because there's a part of you that knows it's true. You resonate with it, even though it seems to the mind to be offensive. To me, it's not because to be sane from this perspective, for me to be sane is to know that we are safe at all times. We are safe in, in, in the arms of God, always, right? But then the sun rises and you're afraid you're going to be late for work or you're afraid to be in a traffic accident. You're afraid of all these things. And as, as you go through this, it's like being caught in a centrifuge of fear. And as you go through this, at some point in your life, I would hope that this happens for other people as well. You kind of stop and take a look around and say, this really is insane. I have to find a different approach. And so you do the forgiveness. It doesn't mean, and, and this is one point I meant to make in the previous paragraph, forgiving someone doesn't mean you have to continue to interact with them. And it might be to your benefit and additional benefit to forgiving them if you've learned your lesson and you found your way back to love and found forgiveness for this person that helped you learn a very tough lesson, then wouldn't that make sense? Wouldn't it make sense that if you got that lesson, that that relationship would then be over because yeah. you got it. So if you really want that person out of your life, forgive them. Because if you don't, then that means there's still something to learn from it and they're going to keep popping up like a bad penny. <laughs> Happens over and over. You know, I've seen a friend or an ex-partner uh, popped up back in the picture, and they were like, I don't know why he's here. I said, well, you must have more to learn from him. Otherwise, why would he be here? He's here to teach you something. You'll get your lesson, and, and maybe he'll go away. And he did. So anyway, that's, that's one point I wanted to make, because it's, because it's so practical, you know, if you think about it. But anyway, back to paragraph five. Again, the ego is always alert to threat, and that part of your mind into which the ego was accepted is very anxious to preserve its reason as it sees it. So, as it sees it, and so it's a, it's alert to threat, perceives that, and then tries to preserve the reason why it sees it as threatening. We could probably have a whole vocabulary lesson on that one, but it's just fear, you know, and it does it does not realize that it is totally insane, and you must realize just what this means if you would be restored to sanity. The insane protector thought system. If you've ever had an argument with a paranoid schizophrenic. <laughs> I have. <laughs> oh, I'll bet you have. Um, I grew up I grew up in a household with three paranoid schizophrenics, okay? Oh, my. Oh, dear. Uh-huh. Fascinating. You would have been proud of me, though. Because I, I found a way. I you. <laughs> so, well, I found a way to navigate their... Um, wow. zigzag and they, they zigzag and they're very protective of what they feel you did to them right and yeah I mean they're really like an a, a exaggeration they are they are and um, this sentence hits me hard because I can hear it in my mind the people saying um, they didn't do something when they did they didn't say something when they did even if you have it on recording they would say that's not me and mm-hmm. they defend, defend, defend. I am, I am guiltless. You're the bad guy. And so the insane protector thought systems, but they do so in such a crazy way. It doesn't make any sense to anybody else in the room. But to them, yeah. they're completely justified. It's fascinating. 
you know. And I, at one point, I got beyond the insult of it and just just sit back and let them talk. Like, oh, my God, they really believe their own BS. They really <laughs> believe it. And, and they will defend it to the death, and they don't know they're crazy. They think you're just belligerent. And so in sentence five, and all their defenses are as insane as what they're supposed to protect, that's that right there. The separation is nothing in it, no part, no reason, no attribute that, that that is not insane. They can't have any attribute that is not insane because in order to restore that to sanity, you would have to allow the truth in, and that's what they work so hard to block is the truth and Bingo. defend their own illusions and perceptions of what they see and what you did to them. And this protection is part of it, as insane as the whole. The whole thing nuts. The special relationship, which is the chief defense, must therefore be insane. So this takes each particular element of the special relationship, defines it as insane, and then gives you the whole picture, where in its entirety, the whole thing is insane. The perception, the reason, the defense of that reason, overall the entire special relationship that is created from that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> you've, you've triggered a lot of thoughts uh, for me, so that's a great um, a, a great um, interpretation of that paragraph. Thank you. Hmm. Did you want to add anything to it? Yeah. Are you, know, you, are you, are you I, sifting through it? I got all kinds of stuff here. I'm just yeah, I know. Take your time. Sift through it. Where would be the best place to start? So I want to start you know, I mean, we can go in a number of places here, but yes, this paragraph is, you know, it's basically one of those total um, in your face, but not angry or confrontive ways of saying, you guys are all crazy. Um, Look at what you've done. So I, I, apropos of what you were talking about with the paranoid schizophrenic and, and, you know, this sort of bleeds into narcissism and malignant narcissism, what does it mean to be completely unable to own responsibility for an action you took or a belief you had? Um, what it means is that, well, there's a Buddhist saying that I love that, that goes like this. It says, the bigger the front, the bigger the back. The idea meaning the more you have to build as a facade, um, the more you're hiding behind it. And in in that view, if someone can't just say, oh, you know, I screwed up, um, I apologize, then they are protecting uh, a self-concept. And remember, all self-concepts share frailty and fear because they're separated Mm. from God. But this particular self-concept is so fragile that it fears that it would just collapse if it had to acknowledge any wrongdoing or any mistake. Um, You can see this in political figures. You can see this in family members. Um, It's sadly, it's not that hard to find. And yet, ironically, the cure for this, and I'm writing about this in, in my book on relationships quite a bit, the only way to cure it is to begin to let that fragile, frail self-image come to the surface and expose it in order to see that, 
you know, it really wasn't as bad as you thought, and that once you bring it out of hiding, it loses most of its power. It's only by keeping it hidden that it continues to control you. And, and we'll see that in the next couple of paragraphs um, as the course talks about defense systems. Oh. So, so, you know, one of the constant refrains of A Course in Miracles is bring forth what's in you, give it to the Holy Spirit, um, you know, if you hide it, he can't do anything with it. Um, then I want to kind of go to what you were talking about with, um, you know, forgiving a relationship um, and just, uh, and, and, you know, that you want to leave, forgive it. And the person will exit your life. If they're still there, there's still some lessons, which I completely agree with. Um, but I would add, I've seen a pattern in the Course in Miracles community with students um, and in the spiritual kind of new agey world in general, where it's kind of like, you know, it's usually a woman and she's usually with a guy who is what I would call a batterer. What I mean by that is not necessarily that he's physically violent, but he controls the paradigm of the relationship. What he says goes, if he wants to eat at a particular restaurant, that's where you're going. Um, he's not going to apologize. You always have to be wrong. Um, he's demeaning you, uh, et cetera. And this could be, you know, two women. This could be two men. I mean, I've seen it in lesbian relationships. I've seen it in, you know, gay relationships, uh, you know. But the most common configuration is the male batterer. And the um, the female in the relationship is basically saying to herself, but, you know, if I'm really being forgiving, shouldn't I overlook what he's doing? And shouldn't I stay and be able to get over this and not have it hurt me anymore? And the answer is, well, I guess if you were Mahatma Gandhi or some kind of saint, you would be able to do that. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't seem to be working out that way. And I see this as a very clever ego ruse to get people to, one, feel guilty at their desire to leave or their desire to have something different, two, to feel guilty at the thought that getting healthier is somehow hurting the other person as if your suffering was somehow going to ennoble them and make them less sick, uh -huh. um, right? And, and number yep. three, it keeps you stuck. So... None of us can prescribe the path of healing for anyone else, but we can certainly encourage people and, and ourselves to check in with the Holy Spirit. Well, are, you know, are you at peace in this relationship? I mean, it is possible to be in a really terrible relationship and get to a place of, you know, and it's just the way it is. I'm at peace with it. I mean, you know, I'm not real crazy with the current uh, political administration in Washington, but I must say, when I watch the news most nights, occasionally it gets to me, I feel like my goal is to stay peaceful and just kind of, as you so beautifully put it, Char, watch the centrifuge of fear and anger and rage spin around um, and maintain my own sense of inner peace. Uh, and if I'm not able to do that, then I should bloody well turn off the television. Uh, in most instances, forgiveness in this kind of relationship means forgiving 
yourself for the mistake you made in entering this, for giving yourself in the false belief that somehow you can only achieve peace by helping this other disturbed soul um, reach peace, because you can't. If they're not choosing it, there's bloody nothing well, nothing you can do to make them get there. And then uh-huh. very often the best path, the healing path, the forgiving path is to say, you know, yeah, at the level of oneness, I love you, but I choose not to be a part of this anymore. And um, I'm going to work on myself and, you know, and I'm out of here because to really work on, I can't work on myself if I'm constantly reacting to something that I'm perceiving as coming from the other person. So I see this a lot and I just want to caution people. You know, we, we, the ego will tend to take certain forms of an answer and say, oh, this is what a holy person would do. This is what a spiritual person would do. And if you're not doing that, you must not be terribly holy or spiritual. And, you know, it's just simply not the case. For all you know, the holiest path, the greatest wake-up call to that other person might be finally having someone say to them, you know what, I'm not going to take this, and walking out and leaving them to go through their anger and their recrimination and stew and all of that, and perhaps, perhaps have an opening to get to some place of, wow, I really screwed that up, didn't I? I lost that person. But again, um, it's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job is to help them. So I, I, I was really glad you brought that up, and I wanted to just add that little piece. And I guess moving into the more abstract place with it, I think it's really important. Um, Okay, there are two things from the Bible um, that essentially say the same thing, even though we don't think about them much. So there's the Old Testament saying God created us in his image. And then there's the, uh, I think, you know, New Testament one uh, that says, essentially, by their fruits, ye shall know them, you know, by the you know what kind of a tree it is by what kind of fruit it puts out. What this, both of these are saying that what is, you can't make, create, give birth to, give rise to something that is different than the fundamentals of what you are. God, if God is love, can only create love. God can't create separation. God can't create anger. God can't create class differences. Um, you know, God can't create that kind of law because if he did, if she did, if it did, then that would become what God is. And, you know, and now we're not looking at God. We're, we're looking at, I don't know, you know, some, some big uh, paternalistic figure in the sky that's making judgments about everyone, which, you know, is a lot of people's portrait of God. By the same token, the moment the Son of God, as the Course calls it, the moment the Christ self separates, all it can do is quote-unquote create. It's not true creation. Um, The Course calls it making. But all it can do is make a world that is in the image of its new self, which is a separated, fragmented self. It sees itself separated from God. Therefore, everything about this sense of self becomes a reflection and an amplification of separation by their fruits. You shall know them. If the, if, if, if it's the, the tree of separation and let's face it, the tree of knowledge of good and evil 
in the Garden of Eden is the tree of separation, because if you're telling good from evil, you're making discriminations. You're no longer in oneness. You're judging some things as bad and some things as good. That's artificial. That's the whispering of the serpent. So the moment there is the separation, all we were lost in that centrifuge of fear and rage and hatred, because all we can make is in our own image that way. And that's what this paragraph is telling us. It's saying, you guys, you're insane. You're in a world of separation because you falsely, wrongly believe that you're, in, that you're separated from God. Meanwhile, your reality is, is a part of you, but at such a deep level that you've completely blocked it from your sight. And, and it's important to recognize that you are insane. Um, if we recognize that, wow, what we've been trying to do hasn't been working terribly well. You know, everything we do seems to, um, you know, as I say to people, if you think this is a wonderful world, then think about it this way. Not only will you die, but much worse, every single person you've ever loved is going to die. That's the fundamental of this world. It's not a world that is eternal because it's separate from God and God is eternal. It has to be God's opposite. It's not a world of oneness because it's separate from God and God is oneness. It's not a world of love and you can see that everywhere. But here's the catch. You can't banish love. And this is our path home. You know, I deeply believe that even in the mind of the worst serial killer, the worst tyrant or despot, there is someone in that person's world for whom they either genuinely feel love or at some point they have had an opening and an inkling and that is love. Maybe it's just for a dog or a snake or a bird, what have you, um, but you, you can't repress and completely forget your true identity, which is love. So, so we've we've we, we've lost ourselves in this you know centrifuge this kaleidoscope of separation and falseness, but through it all the light is still there. You know the course tells us it gets sort of choked down to a tiny little spark, um, when in fact it's the great rays, a, a term I just love that that the course never explains and is only mentioned maybe four or five times in the whole book, but that the great rays are still in you. And you might only perceive them as a tiny spark, but they're there. That's your reality. And meanwhile, as the Course says, you know, the separation has nothing in it, no part, no, quote, reason, and no attribute that is not insane. Um, it has to be thus, because out of, out of separation can only come further separation. Out of insanity can only come further insanity. You know, we, we, we create in our image, and, uh, you know, by their fruits ye shall know them. So... I, I am kind of fond of this paragraph, even though, you know, you could probably sum it up in one line. You guys are crazy and you need to wake up to that fact if you want to wake up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of it makes your eyes cross, but it, but it really is simple when when you dig into it the way you just did. And um, I have some thoughts to add. Um, first, I have to tell you that relationship you described with the um, typically with the in, in a heterosexual relationship yes. with a man and a woman, right? You basically just described my parents. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and so it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, yeah, this is something. This is not something I haven't thought about. 
in in looking at the dynamic of their relationship, but it was just as you described. What he said goes. He was the dominating personality. He was a force that uh, gen, um, engendered fear, and everybody walked on eggshells, and it didn't matter if you were right or wrong. You were wrong. And then with the way my mother would, there was, there's two factors here. My mother's personality was made up in such a way that she had a, she was very sweet and dainty and feminine, but she had a stubborn streak. And it took me a while, a long time to really notice it because she was so gentle. But anytime I would ask her, even, even when I was like 11 years old and she had just had her fifth child with this person, I was like, what are you doing? Why are you with him? Why, why are all of us stuck in this? Because you don't want to leave him. And it turned out that her mother had offered to pay for a divorce, but she always clung to this. She took an oath. She, 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 she made a vow on her wedding day, and she was going to stick to it. And that's honorable. I get it. But what I found over time as I watched them is that she would forever be in that position, she didn't know how to operate in any other dynamic. And I saw um, that she prayed a lot. She prayed a lot. And I guess she was praying to God to help her get through this or, or make him better or make him change. I don't know what she was praying for, but it, it didn't work. <laughs> um, because it couldn't work. Because you're praying for something you're not willing to give yourself. There you go. Yes. Lord helps those who help themselves. And so... The way I would see it is that there's nothing spiritual in self-sacrifice. And when you remain stuck in a relationship like that, you're basically throwing yourself on the source, and that screams low self-worth. And that's why you vibrate with that other person. There is a vibrational frequency of low self-worth that attracts these two people in the first place. Then one becomes the dominating personality, and one becomes the subservient. And it works that way. So no matter how the relationship looked to us from the outside, it really did work just as they dictated it should based on their own self-esteem. But the thing is, after incident, after incident, after incident, forgiveness is one thing. It's one thing to forgive and, and say and recognize that someone perhaps isn't mentally well, okay, and forgive their behavior and their actions and then move forward for, to, toward a solution, Right. Right. But when there's continual denial, acceptance, and moving forward, that only teaches that there are no real consequences to their actions. That is not forgiveness. That just says, I'm going to sweep it under the rug and not do anything about it. And I so, agree. in my experience with forgiveness, I found I was doing the same thing. I'm forgiving everybody. You know, I'm just built that way. And then things would keep happening and keep happening. And so, if I look at these relationships as special relationships, then I can look back and look at them in a new way. Like, why did I have to have so many different experiences with different colors and hues? It was the same experience. It was just a different framework, I'll say, since I know what's coming up in a in few paragraphs. But I, I found that I was just teaching people, it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter what you do to me, I'm going to forgive you. And and try to tr- and continue to try to make this relationship what I want it to be, 
which means that I have to save you from yourself. There you go. And yeah. so that goes around and around. And so I just wanted to touch on that because it's such a fascinating dynamic, but there really is nothing spiritual and self-sacrifice. That just says that you're not worthy of what God is offering you. Yeah, exactly. And if you want peace, you have to go get it. I mean, even that idea of, well, I took an oath. Let's think about that for a second. You know, what exactly did you take an oath to? You were taking an oath based on the person whom you believed that person that you were marrying was uh, at the time and based on who you thought you were at the time. As time goes forward and more is revealed and you discover that, you know, that the, the, the agreement you signed on to isn't exactly playing out as you thought – why would you be bound to that? I mean, if you signed up to buy a house in real estate, and then when you know you do the deep inspection, you find out that it's full of termites and about to collapse, you're not bound to it. You know, I guess in buying, you have this this period where you can evaluate, um, and and we don't get that in marriage. You know, you don't get to have um, a wedding inspector go and do a deep evaluation of your potential spouse and tell you where it's going to be in 10 years or whatever. But, but forgiveness operates in present tense. That's the only place it can operate. Therefore, if you're stuck in the past and you're stuck in the future, and Char, you and I have talked about this in many other segments that we've done, um, uh -huh. you can't forgive if you're in the past. You can't forgive if you're thinking about what might be in the future Forgiveness is only in the now present moment. And of course, when you're in the present moment, there is nothing that happened in the past. And that is, of course, in miracles definition of forgiveness. You know, forgiveness recognizes that what I thought my brother did to me has not occurred. Oh, my God, how can you say that? What do you mean it didn't occur? I remember it. Well, in the fullness of God and oneness, none of it occurred. Uh, and if you can get to that place, <clears throat> then 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 you will be at peace. But again, I have seen so many course students, oh yeah, I'm going to forgive it. And what they're really doing is just putting a blanket of denial over very strong feelings and painting a smiley face on their real rage as, because they're afraid of their rage. Better to go through your rage and you know face it in all of its ugliness, knowing that your intention is to heal it then to put a little smiley face on it and pretend like, oh, no, I forgive you, and then, you know, go in and get, get battered all over again. So, um, yeah, we're veering from the reading, but we're really not. This is the ego's insanity, and, uh, and the Course is just shining a light on it. Yes, and um, there was – I had to uh, – I omitted one thing of, with the dynamic with my mother. There was – I made – I took a vow. There was, I wanted a father for my children. And then there was the Catholic Church, which says you're not allowed to get divorced. Oh, right. And so whose life are you living? And it tells you you should make a sacrifice. Yes. You know, they, they, the noblest they thing you can do is head. sacrifice. Yeah. Yes. They, they drum it into your head. And so she really was trapped in this prison. But, and the kicker is, after they both passed away, I, I got to see them both, and they're hanging out together smiling. I'm like, oh, I can't. Oh, that's lovely. That's your I forgiveness can't do this. process. Yes. Obviously, they looked at it and said, well, we did what we did, and it's okay now. Yeah. Anyway, but, yeah, um, I want to reference, before we run out of time, a couple of things. 
In Chapter 2, Section 1, The Origins of Separation, I want to uh, encourage the listeners to go check out that section because it talks about um, extension, uh, the, the process of um, filling filling your mind with your own ideas instead of the truth, and it involves um, several steps, four steps. That's really good. It talks about the Garden of Eden, and in the pre- our last segment I had mentioned that we would talk about the Garden of Eden, but we didn't get that chance. But that's a really um, excellent section to review. But also turn back to the manual for teachers and clarification of terms. Number three is forgiveness, the face of Christ. And so if you take everything that we've been saying and then look at these different um, elements that support all the information, then that might give you a lot to think about. I think it's uh, pretty fascinating. Yes, yes. Well, are we out of time, or should we try to do another? Or, uh, I mean, it, you know, it is a conclusion point, but we this time we only did two paragraphs. <laughs> I know. If we, if you want to extend it, we can go to paragraph six. And um, oh, there was one other point I wanted to make. So, if we look at special relationships and look at their function and their purpose, I think I boiled it down. To and it helps me. Hopefully, it'll help other people. If we look at a special relationship where things are ongoing, um, ongoing conflict, then you're in that relationship because of unfinished business on your part, and that person is in that relationship for you with you for the same reason. There's unfinished business. What is that business? Your mind is your business. The way you think, what you think of yourself, the way you see the world. Your mind, everybody's a business owner. Your mind is your business, and you need to mind your business. And you need to look, and you've got to go with that golden rule, know thyself. And that's yeah. where your focus should be, because when you know yourself, when you know yourself, that's when it's easier to figure out and understand why you're in a relationship that does not serve your highest good in the first place, or your immediate demands. It'll serve your highest good if you learn about yourself. But anyway, I wanted to throw that out there, that look at look at these relationships as unfinished business, and what is it that you're not looking at? Okay? So, yeah, do you want yeah. to move right on yeah, to paragraph uh, six let's, unless you have I something think, to add? I don't think there's a lot, I don't have a lot to say about paragraph six, so I think I can, um, you know, read it, uh, and um, you know, I think it just, yeah, why don't we do that? And, and from what I can see, chap, uh, paragraph seven kind of starts off with a little bit of a new idea, and we'll pick that up uh, the next time. Um, so here's paragraph six. You have but little difficulty now in realizing that the thought system the special relationship protects is but a system of delusions. You recognize, at least in general terms, that the ego is insane. Yet the special relationship still seems to you somehow to be, quote, different. Yet we have looked at it far closer than we have at many other aspects of the ego's thought system that you have been more willing to let go. While this one remains, you will not let the others go. For this one is not different. Retain this one, and you have retained the whole. So in brief, what this is saying is, you can realize that the ego is insane. You can realize that, you know, chasing after money, success, fame, what have you, doesn't work. But to the extent that you still cherish the special relationship, 
which is essentially to say there's someone out there in the world who is going to love me the way my parents didn't love me and nobody else loved me, um, and I'm going to find them. To the extent that you're looking there, rather than recognizing God already loves you that way, and God sees you as the perfect being that you already are, um, that all the other defenses are going to be with you too. You know, it's kind of like uh, if you're a dog with fleas, you know, you can get rid of all but, you know, 5% of those fleas, and guess what? You're still going to be itching. You're still going to be in trouble. Uh, You can get rid of all but one flea or maybe two. I guess they have to reproduce, and eventually all the fleas come back. Um, In other words, the special relationship can't be held off in its own compartment and made special and different and the exception. The Course tells us in many places that there are no exceptions uh, to its teaching system. Love makes no exceptions. And this is just um, a, a reiteration of that. I would also say within relationships, what is the special relationship? But it's, again, it's a compartmentalizing. Ah, this person is different than all others. No, they're not. No, they're not. Um, the Course tells us it's impossible to love um, in any other way than what God loves. And if you're loving specially, then that's not really love. Um, so, so that's really all I need to say about that paragraph. You know, it, it's saying, yeah, we're sort of recognizing in general terms that the ego is pretty crazy. But, you know, wouldn't it be great to find that one person? I know they're out there somewhere, my soulmate, my split apart, whatever you want to call them. Um, <laughs> keep looking. Okay. Good luck to you. Right. <laughs> Yes. Um, What this brings to mind for me is um, about fragmentation, and I like your choice of the word, compartmentalize. Um, Because if if there really is no real separation, it's just our perception, right? But separation isn't real. We, We just perceive that way. If that's the case, then our projection of an experience of fragmentation is equally misleading. And by that I mean this. Belief is total. It's 100%. You either believe in something or you don't. You cannot portion that out and expect to feel whole. In other words, you can't believe 99% in love and 1% in hate, in hatred for your enemy, your perceived enemy, and expect for that to make any sense whatsoever because that's part of the insanity, that the ego can tell you that you can hold both things as true. Love and hate cannot uh, occupy the same space. So you either have to choose for or against any one given thing every moment. And so we vacillate back and forth to that, and we portion out our beliefs in order to suit the moment. But if you look at love as one continuous stream of light and truth, then we're stepping out of love in in some crazy attempt to fix it because we see something is wrong with it or it's broken, so it needs fixing. It needs adjustment. Um, let me see what else I have here. Yes, you cannot accept 99% of something and reserve hatred for that 1% because it gets canceled out. The correction of your perception must be complete because belief is total and cannot be portioned out to varying conflicting things. Yep, yep. so I got it out. Um, yeah. But that's that's what that says to me. And... While this one remains, you will not let the others go. And to forgive one thing, you, you, you can and you have to forgive all. So we can't pick and choose 
like we're at a candy store, reject some some items and, and accept the others, but, but all the items are really the same. Like it says, retain this one, you've retained the whole. Whatever you've held back in forgiveness, whatever you withheld, that's what you're clinging to, and you're clinging to all of it. You're not, it's not just one slice of the pie, it's the whole thing, you know? Yep, I always like to play on words, and, um, you know, if you make an exception, to accept is to exert, you know, you're, you're literally cut to excise, you're cutting something out, you're Xing it um, out of wholeness. So the moment you do that, you've lost wholeness. Um, and, and of course, you know, we're all working on this. I mean, the course tells us if you were able to forgive one person perfectly, you know, you would, the whole world would be saved. Um, and in fact, it does tell us that there was someone who forgave uh, perfectly, and that was Jesus, and that's why the whole world is saved. And we're just all working to catch up with the example that Jesus set, um, which is great. I could say Buddha set the same example. Um, there, there, mm-hmm. there clearly are people who have gotten there. And think of it this way: you know, with each one who gets there, it makes it easier and more likely that the rest of us can get there. Um, you know, I, 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 having known Bill Thetford, I'm quite confident that he got there. And that makes me feel like, well, you know, Bill blazed that trail. I, I can follow that. And I don't have to feel guilty when I fall off the wagon, so to speak, and find myself mm-hmm. in unforgiveness. All I have mm-hmm. to do is become aware of that and then give it back to the Holy Spirit um, for healing and come back into a mind frame of forgiveness as best I can. Um, and Absolutely. you know, that's what we all, that's what we're here to do together. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to our next segment because we get into, uh, the two pictures. Yes, we that finally the, do. <laughs> that the section title, uh, speaks of. And I, I, it's just fascinating. Um, the imagery that it gives you when when we go into these paragraphs is fascinating so that we can really start to understand the way our own beautiful stuff. Yeah. And this beautiful. is great. I know we I know we kind of kind of went the long way around, but it really was I I think this point. Is, you know, we're going to be starting some um doing some Zoom sessions with Judy and me out of the foundation and we're calling it Let's Discuss because in a special message from Jesus, Helen was told the purpose of the Foundation for Inner Peace is to publish, distribute, and discuss A Course in Miracles. Discussing involves two people. Discussing is, yeah, we, you and I, Shar, have joined together for the purpose of these shows in a holy relationship to um, help extend those ideas out to your listeners. So the fact that, you know, I don't care if we did two paragraphs or two lines or if we cover the whole section. It doesn't matter. We're discussing, and there's really good stuff coming out of it, and um, and that's healing for you, for me, and for all of our listeners. Absolutely. And as we teach, we learn. And yeah. so when I started the show in the first place, you know, as you teach, you learn. So let's all learn together. That's where the Course in Miracles uh, part of the programming uh, came in because I, I wanted to create a forum, a forum where we could all learn together. No one is any any better at this than anybody else. It, it's just a matter of exploring and trying your best to remember all the yes. truth that this speaks of. You got, and no one you will be left it. behind. Guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> no one will be left behind. 
And so it's all good. And so we'll pick up with paragraph seven next time. And just to remind everybody, drbob-author.com. That's where you can go to read excerpts and purchase his awesome books. And it's, it's, it's and, D-R-B-O-B, um, D-R as in the abbreviation for doctor, but without the pyramid, period. So that's D-R-B-O-B. Right. Yeah. Dash author.com. Okay. Right. Alrighty. Well, this is wonderful. I, of course, um, it's, it's, just talking about this stuff helps me reclaim a part of myself that kind of gets frazzled in other times. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's what I mean by, you know, it, it's the healing relationship. It's purpose is truth. And therefore what comes from it will also be healing and truthful. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you once again. And I will look forward to our time in April. Me too, Shar. I okay. didn't pick out a prayer, but I think that's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll we'll tell you what, right. I'll, 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 I'll uh, you know, I'll, I'll jump in uh, with the last uh, lesson from the workbook. Um, this holy instant oh. would we give to you, be you in charge, for we would follow you, certain your direction gives us peace. Amen. Amen. Well done. Good save. All righty. I will be speaking with you for our next segment and enjoy the next few weeks. Thank you. You too. Much love. All much right. peace. Bye-bye. Same to you, Dr. Bob. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. Until next time, God bless and be at peace.